This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Hey, uh, we are shit. Another segment. Hey, it's, it's, not, segment. it's another Baldy. It's another, another Deliberation Baldy segment. We did Biggest Miss, right? Yeah, <clears throat> this is where we left off Set me yesterday. up for failure, you son of a bitch. No, All right, so here's a new for, category. I don't set think you up for the surprise of the next category. I, I think this is a new. This is a. This is a Baldi's 2017 OG original. No, OG would be an uh, would be the opposite. Yeah, of an original. This would be something. This would be the the best returning category. Yeah, we need to do some meta categories. This would be, this would be the best like, debut or pilot category. We're, we're what four years into this? I feel like it's time to start introducing meta categories. Best bald move category that didn't return this year. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so, biggest stakes, highest risks. And we intended to set Rick and Morty and Star Wars as counterexamples of things. Because we tried to, you know, anytime we got these categories, we should do the deliberation deliberations where we actually argue about why this stuff shouldn't be in here and what this category and why do we need this new category. But yeah, we're trying to think of things that... Um, I, so so, why aren't Rick and Morty and Star Wars fitting in the highest stakes, biggest risk? Because for, for me, Star Wars doesn't fit in there because they're doing it every single. We, in the last two years, we've had three Star Wars movies. Yeah. So if they fuck one up, they will. Continue. They've just got another yeah. one coming out in six months. Yeah. Like, it's like the weather in the Midwest. If you don't like it, wait a day or two and it'll change. Exactly. Wait, wait six months and you'll have the solo movie. Whereas, like a lot of other things on this list, like there's a lot of hype, a lot of expectations, and they're only really going to do it like once. Like Blade Runner, Blade Runner was a beloved franchise, not even a franchise, right? Like a beloved film. From 30 years ago. Right. There's no possible reason to remake it. No real reason to remake it. And it has such like this bar of you need to make this great or everybody's going to hate you. Yeah. Um, Star Wars doesn't feel like that anymore to me because they're going to make these things once a year for the rest of your life. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or until they stop making money. The, so. And the same with Rick and Morty. Rick and Morty in the pilot episode was conceived as a long running 100 years Rick and Morty. Like, you know, like they're... <laughs> Rick and Morty will always come back so long as it is popular and it gets good ratings, although more right. on that here in a minute, um, oh, perhaps. No. Um, but so let's talk about The Leftovers. What was the highest stakes risk of The Leftovers? I feel like this is a very personal one for us in this category because The Leftovers is not a huge show, right? There's not no. like a, a billion people watching it like Game of Thrones. So if if they completely fuck it up, you know, not that many people probably care aside from me, you, and probably Damon Lindelof. Right, and I, I felt so, like, but, but the biggest risk part of it is, holy shit, what if Damon Lindelof bungles the end of another series? Right, especially like since Lost was bungled. The, the sublime thing about it is, both seasons previous would have been admirable series finales. Right, like they could have right. ended season one at the end with uh, um, the fire, the big. Well, no, like uh, even Nora coming um, home and oh, finding yeah, yeah. the baby, and like because uh-huh. that, that's how the novel ends, and right. it was a self-contained story done. Season two 
had a very nice arc and wrapped up in a satisfying manner. And I remember thinking, like, if this is the end of The Leftovers, then this is a great season. So coming back on such a controversial, polarizing, small show with the reputation of Lindelof, because that's the, every single time he came back, it's like, even though I had a lot of faith in going into the third season, it's like, man, is he going to continue to be able to resist the temptation of sticking to his sci-fi you know sticking to his guns and and um you know keeping it at about the human element and the, the the meditation on grief and depression and and not try to explain things and not try to sci-fi things up and in my estimation succeeded it seems like that's certainly the majority view yeah and it got harder every year because every yeah. year the show got better so like my expectations and going as the universe into built three, there was less there was much more he was paint it's they they painted themselves into a corner with that show right um because every year you go by with kevin doing weird shit mm-hmm. it's harder and harder to not explain that or to that's true yeah you know what i'm saying like it's uh-huh. like it's like it, it is like this trap this this crazy trapeze thing that they just kept on building higher and higher right right so you know, the the possibility, the likelihood of really sticking that third season landing was not very high in my mind. Like, it, it just becomes this really big monumental task. So when they nailed it, th- that's what this category is all about, right? Like, how hard was the thing you're trying to do? Yeah. And how well did you do it? Yeah. And, and I feel like Leftovers for me was a huge bar, but it wasn't it wasn't a huge bar for everyone, right? Right. So, you know, you, ha- you have to take it, I guess, in context. Uh, Stranger Things 2 was another one a lot like The Leftovers where the Duffers had over a decade, however long they've been thinking about (laughs) science fiction together, um, to come up with this fantastic universe and story, this love letter to 80s science fiction and Steven Spielberg, and then to turn it around in less than a year Mm -hmm. and bring it back and try to please everyone and hopefully go bigger and better and and i was scared because i listened to them on on the harmontown podcast like months after like a month or two after stranger things had wrapped and they were like yeah no this is scary shit (laughs) this is following up your freshman album with the you know that you've had Mm -hmm. years to work and polish and write songs and come back with the sophomore and uh, and they didn't have to because Stranger Things, again, was a completely self-contained story. It did have breadcrumbs that could be yeah. easily interpreted interpreted as, you know, like like at the end of Jaws, if they had another fin that goes, duh, dump. Does that mean there's another Jaws or just like, hey, stay out of the water because there's still sharks in it? Right. Like when when Will does the thing at the end that could just be like you know like the 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 stinger at the horror film that lets you know hey you you got to still sleep with the closet doors closed and and don't look under your bed and and they did it they did it yeah and where like leftovers was a really personal thing for Mm -hmm. me like the personal bar um stranger things was a public bar like holy shit that show got so popular so fast overnight and it was in my mind like almost a perfect season of television yeah there, there were zero flaws with the first season of Stranger Things. Yeah. So to come back and try and do that again and do it bigger and better yeah. seemed like an impossible task, and I was so scared that they were going to fuck it up. Uh, so the other spectrum is things like the Mystery Science Theater 3000 reboot that was on Netflix this year, where that's more of a combination of this is a sleeping dog, mm-hmm. that it could have been left a lie, and... 
Mike Nelson et al. from Mystery Science Theater 3000 have moved on to Rift Tracks. They are still doing Mystery Science Theater 3000 on, in a different brand. True, yeah. So the the opportunity to rustle Jimmy's was super high amongst this fandom. Mm-hmm. And I don't you haven't seen hardly any of them? Any of them? I don't I, I think I've seen part of one. Like I felt like it was a pretty rough start because I felt and and as a person who's done riffs, mm-hmm. like I've done, I've got a couple under my belt now, and also every time we do live watches of uh, The Walking Dead, it's essentially a, a riff, a live riff tracks. Yeah, there is a temptation, like you'll remember when we did the Star Trek episode, to just pack it to the rafters with this riff, 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 riff. Oh, it's been fifteen seconds, so we got to force a riff in there. Yeah, if you do that. It does a couple things. Number one, it destroys any kind of rhythm. Mm-hmm. Like, like you know, if you say something funny and you don't let it kind of land and you don't have a build up to it, then it's like you know, it just just becomes white noise. And I felt like <laughs> yeah. a few of the early ones had that kind of nervous, not quite, not quite sure of ourselves that we've got the best material. Like, so shove it all in there, and then later ones got real good. In fact. The Italian Hercules is some of the best. Like, it's probably a top mm-hmm. ten of all time, Mystery Science Theater 3000, in my opinion. And I always, most of the time, I thought the the host segments of Mystery Science Theater 3000 were pretty cringy. Yeah, yeah. There's a few notable ones. Like, I thought some of the work they did with, uh, like, uh, lampooning Canada in, uh, like, uh, The Final Sacrifice was pretty good. Um but a lot of them, it's just like, Jesus Christ, can we just get back to the riffing? I thought the most of the host segments here were solid, and that helps that you had Patton Oswald and, um, uh, God damn it, the Guild Girl. Felicia Day. Felicia Day. Um, the other guys were just okay. You know, like the, you've, you've, the, the central star of Mr. Stein's has always been the kind of a schlubby guy mm-hmm. who's not particularly charismatic. Um, and, uh, yeah, and they're, they're a little bit bigger budget. Like, like they execute the low budget science fiction at a much higher budget. Does that make sense? I I know because I've seen it. So yes, I okay. get what you're saying. But okay, yeah, it's tough to explain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I thought the I I thought it was good, and that's kind of an amazing Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Yeah, I mean, I kind of talked about it, but it's you know this beloved movie that's it's only been done once, and everybody loves it who's seen it, and it's. There's no real reason to bring it back other than we want to cash in on what we had with Blade Runner. And you're going to bring it back with not even it's not even a Ridley Scott film. Uh is I I don't know. I don't know if that's true. Is that oh true? no, I was making I mean sh- not, yeah, it's not a Ridley Scott film. It's Darren Aronofsky, wasn't it? Okay. Um I don't know. I legitimately don't. Oh, know. so I was like that was another risky element that you're going to come back yeah. with a it'd be like if someone just came back and made a Star Wars <laughs> without George Lucas before Oh, wait. oh it was Dennis Villan- oh, wait, Villanova is who made it. Right. Um but yeah, I felt like it was super risky because they're, you know, Blade Runner everyone everyone loves. I I watched Blade Runner again and the parts that hold up really hold up. You know, there's other parts that maybe don't, don't hold up as much, but it's still such an influential piece of science fiction filmmaking, bringing it back is, uh, you know, sometimes you, 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 you get nervous about disturbing those kind of remains. And I, I think of all of the questions, I guess, that people had leading up to the release of it, you know, about what what part... Uh, Harrison Ford? Harrison Ford. What is his name? Deckard? Deckard, yeah. Uh, in the movie 
uh, what part he was going to play, whether he's going to be a replicant or not. And there were like a lot of, a lot of opportunities to really fuck that up. Yeah. And I don't think they did. I think Blade Runner 2049 was a really good movie. So. And then finally. John Wick. John Wick. No, absolutely no reason to make a second John Wick. Right. In fact, <laughs> no reason at all. Like just coming up with the motive, like the like it, the the first John Wick was such a pure action film, and mm-hmm. that it had such a simple concept. This is a man who had lost his wife, and she bought him a puppy to deal with that grief. And some asshole in the form of Theon Greyjoy mm-hmm. murdered his puppy and fucked up his car. And he just spends the rest of his film making good on that 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 red, getting that red out of his ledger. Yeah. Um, or putting more red into lots of people's ledgers. Um, and yeah. And, and, and like... And it was this very tight, like, self-contained thing yeah. that didn't need any more story. Yeah. And they... I mean, I don't know that John Wick 2 was as successful, mm-hmm. but it certainly did not disgrace itself. No. And it sets up what could be a potentially very cool trilogy. In fact, yeah. if it, if the third one is not a disgrace, it's probably his most successful trilogy. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it certainly wouldn't be like Speed. <laughs> well, he was he, he's part he of the. Was in, I'm talking yeah. about the. I'm mean, compared to the Matrix, right? Like, I think the Matrix is way better than John Wick, but Matrix Two, I think. The Matrix Two would have been okay if Matrix Three was not a, just a, a, a just a completely. <laughs> but it's a much harder thing to do. Much yes. much harder than just yes. Keon is going to go kick some ass. Yes, I will say that making Matrix Two and Three was would have been on the highest stakes, biggest risk. It just yeah. wouldn't have paid off. Maybe not quite as much. Yeah, uh, because the end of the Matrix is a self contained movie. Like right. you know, uh, Neo was now a superhero. That's a cool concept to think about, but you didn't need to follow it up. Right. Um, machines are done. Yeah. Neo's going to go kick their ass. So we got five contenders for this year category. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's tempting just to maybe, like, I like. is anything going to change? And also, how do we score this? Is this the best? Is this is the best of this category? In which case, I why are we not giving the leftovers? Or are no, we got some I mean, kind of velocity between yeah. the, the stakes and the payoff? Yeah, absolutely. Like, how... How crazy of it was a th- how crazy was it of a thing to do, and how well did they hit it? How well did they nail it? Um, and for me, I don't know that honestly, sheds much more light onto the situation because who? What, what do you think of this, was the so, biggest? So risk the leftovers is not a huge risk to me because they'd already personally done it, it is for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but to the audience at large, I don't think it was even on the radar. Right. So many people could not care less about the leftovers. Um, I, I just don't think it was that big of a risk. Now th- there is the argument to be made about Damon Lindelof himself, right? Mm-hmm. Like you come off of lost and you do this as a follow up thing. And then suddenly you bungle the end of this. Right. Now Especially you're since ta- you're talking you, about, you had kind of shook in that monkey the previous yeah. two seasons. Every time you go to, but but they would that monkey was he, he didn't die. He he was <laughs> right. in the green room the whole time, uh-huh. waiting to be called back out to jump right back on your back. Right, and you just invited it. Yeah, you invited yeah. it and said, "No, nah, monkey, I, I like I'm going to stand here with my back turned to you, but right. you're not going to jump on right it. with with a with a handful of bananas in <laughs> right. my in my front pocket and just yeah. just stay off my back." So for him personally, I think it was a, a huge risk. And for you, right, our uh, our fandom, I think, because the stakes, personal stakes for me, was I thought that there was a potential if they really nailed the third season that it might be 
de- dethroned the wire as my my fa- my personal favorite show of all time because hmm. okay well we'll have to unlike talk about things that unlike things like breaking bad that are merely excellent television shows breaking uh the wire always had that like the importance yeah. at least to me because the wire is one of the things that really kind of levered my politics into a different into a different spot hmm. and really had me rethink about how i saw the world and the people in it um and 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 and, and uh, all of our places in it uh but i feel like the leftovers had that too because mm-hmm. no it's not talking about the fundamental problems with you know 20th century and 21st century america but it kind of is like like the the our our emotional maturity as a people and a nation I don't know has grown as fast as our interconnectedness. Hmm. So like we are being asked to be more empathetic and understanding uh, more than ever before, but we still have a lot of the Puritan and button down fifties. That like survival kind of like, just what are you, what are you whining about? Pick yourself up and keep going. Like we are becoming aware of, of trauma and post-traumatic stress and how it can really cripple people um, yep. And we're forced to deal with things like out of the blue terrorist attacks. So instead of being just soldiers on a battlefield having to deal with it, like it's our lives, our our long stretches of boredom punctured by minutes of, of terror. And uh, I think I had a lot of smart things to say about that, how you can survive and thrive and, and, and move forward in that kind of world. Yeah, so I, I think it checks the important box off, too. Okay. Yeah, I could buy that argument. I mean, the, 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 pers- the personal connection that I felt to Leftovers – was unlike any other show yeah. that I that I saw certainly last year and probably previous to it. Why? Because I know it because it, like this is a story of of people who have lost their families, right? And that's okay. essentially yeah. what has happened to both you and I um, through our religion. Uh, I think like the connection that it made with me over that that topic was far more powerful than a lot uh, anything else I saw on television. Sure. Certainly this year. Sure. So that can't be denied either. Yeah, I wondered if because I obviously in the first season those things went hand in glove. It was literally about a family being torn apart by a cult. Right. Yeah. And not being able to mention like the event itself, right? Like these people just yes. disappearing from your lives. Yes, so. yes, yes. But this particular family that we focused yeah. on, none of that happened. It was this invisible wall that had torn their family apart. This like invisible iron curtain. Right. And I mean, I fucking relate to that like like <laughs> like it's my blood. And uh-huh. you know, as the series goes by, that becomes less of an important element. But you're right, the grief of that loss, um, portrayed through other people and and other characters, remains as strong. So yeah. it's because I was thinking about that as as you were talking like, yeah, why did I still retain that personal connection? Cause the cult stuff kind of gets dispensed with fairly early on, but, mm-hmm. um, and it's hardly present at all in the third season. Yeah. I mean, it's still definitely influencing those characters decisions. Right. Um, right. Going into the third season. So, and I think it really, you know, like they bring it, they, they bring it back around yeah. by, by the, the end, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough and we'll probably talk about this more in, in the best of category, but, uh, the leftovers is, it's the best thing I've ever seen that I'm nervous to recommend to everybody <laughs> because it's yeah. just so it's it's like caviar, man. Like if you like caviar, you will spend three hundred dollars to get 
a, a fucking gram of it, mm-hmm. but or cocaine, you know, or cocaine, or, <laughs> or cocaine, or heroin, yeah, the finest or, cocaine, yeah. Uh, but but if you, if it's not for you, it's just going to make you. It's going to just make you grit your teeth and, and chew uh-huh. on your fingernails and clean grout for six hours, <laughs> and and nobody wants that. It has a charm of its own. Yeah, uh, y- yeah. yeah. So that's the thing about the leftovers, and that's why it kind of. You know, they could have really fucked that up, and it would have been personally devastating to me if that show ended on a really sour note. Um, Kind of like Stranger Things, too, because I know we have potentially three more seasons of that show, Mm -hmm. but Stranger Things 1 connected to me on that nostalgia level like nothing else ever has. And here's the most important part of it to me is I feel like this is the last opportunity for a while for a show to do this because i think the next stranger things that comes out about the 80s is going to feel like a rehash yeah whereas stranger things it it did i mean i've seen like a lot of 80s nostalgia come back in the last Uh few years it's not like it's been absent but and a lot more ready player one absolutely but stranger things nailed it in a way that like i don't think i was prepared for i didn't think was possible and so when Stranger Things 2 comes along and says, we're going to do this thing again, we're going to take this thing that you absolutely loved and didn't really need a sequel, and we're going to do it anyway, I was so nervous. So nervous that they were just going to f- fuck up this thing that so perfectly encapsulated my yeah. childhood. You know, the next step for the uh, nostalgia train wagon is the Mad Men look at the 80s. Like from an adult perspective well, just how fucked like like uh, 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 oh everyone thinks of the 60s and like you know i think there was a time where like it's the flower children and and you know peace and love and woodstock mm-hmm. and pro and then Mad Men was like peeling back and like for a lot of people the 60s were a really terrible time that sure. not be looked back fondly and i yeah. bet the 80s there's a lot of similar because the 80s the 80s you know there's nothing no one ryan white's not dying aids no in hawkins uh middle school even though he, he the real life ryan white did in indiana yeah. there's uh you know rampant wall street gr- greed and cronyism isn't leading to a banking and loan scandal mm-hmm. uh, there's an iran contra deal that's that's raging in the background like but that all was happening yeah. that all was happening and and the, the 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 rampant sexism and homophobia and <laughs> I'm not nostalgic for any of no, that. No, no, no. I'm, I'm saying, but that's <laughs> like you said. What's the next dose? Of, I mean, I don't know that there will be another because I don't think you can get that high. You can't get that dopamine like like every. In fact, that's one of the things I'm worried about with with Ready Player One because it looks like it's just 80s nostalgia with mm-hmm. a thin veneer of plot to kind of justify it. Whereas, but it lacks that that personal connection to me of the setting because like Hawkins, Indiana, yes, right. is such a perfect encapsulation of that. And my me. understanding of Ready Player One is it's literally people being nostalgic about the 80s together. Yeah. Whereas Hawkins, they're they're just in the 80s. And I feel like this show doesn't speak to everybody in the same way. Because if you didn't grow up in the Midwest, sure, you're probably not as nostalgic for that thing. You're you're probably more into like skateboarding and you know the shit that hey, was happening too is all in bad. California the, or New York. Yeah, or... Skater Girls and Stranger Things too. That's true. Yeah. In fact, you got, I felt like that was a little bit of that. Like they imported some California vibe. They didn't the shithole Indiana in season two. They totally did, yeah. The the skater girl for sure. Um But yeah, that that was much more of a thing on the West Coast at uh-huh. the time. And like what was going down in New York, you know? Yeah. Like the the hip hop scene and stuff. Right. Like what that wouldn't speak to me as we personally. Needed a, but... We need an embarrassing teacher rap by Mr. Clark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My name is Mr. Clark, and I'm here to you say... You get the student from New York I like next doing year. science every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
That'd be great. Uh, but yeah, that I mean, like I said, the the Midwest flair of it all spoke to me. Okay, Mystery Science Theater three thousand. Since it was a mixed bag in the execution, I'm I'm, I'm assuming they're going to do another season. I'm really looking forward to that because it seemed like they rounded into uh, good shape. The other thing I enjoyed about Mystery Science Theater three thousand is. It's hard to get old copies of Mystery Science Theater 3000 that don't look like total shit. Yeah. Um, these will just Did look... they release them on DVD? Even if they did, they were standard def at the time. It's true. So it's like you're yeah. only going to get so good. And these just all look just, just amazing. Um, and they're not distracting that way. And they're, they're, they're able to do a lot of fun things with, uh, like, t- Tom's, uh, Tom Servo being able to interact with the environment because he could, like, float around the stage and, and do, like, visual gags that way that they, you know, I don't think they had the shadow box technology to do that back in their Minnesota cable access days. <laughs> uh, but I, I feel like it feels to me like Mr. Science Theater 3000, that's got to be at the bottom because the execution was uneven. It was a brave okay. and risk, and it, I think it paid off, but I... I would argue everything else on this list executed at a higher level. Yes. So by that, and it also wasn't that big a risk. I mean, like, Joel Hodgson Hodgson was involved, and, you know, Mike and the guys are already doing their fucking thing over on Rift Tracks, and I didn't think that there's animosity behind that. And it was was also a public Kickstarter, so um, they they raised, like... Netflix... did well, a Kickstarter for no they, they the Kickstarter was the was a resurrect Mystery Science Theater three thousand and I do believe Netflix then won the rights to distribute that thing oh, okay and probably mm-hmm. kicked in cash too uh so yeah I I think it goes to the bottom now leftovers of Stranger Things one A one B like I feel like almost that's that that one tweak did it for me hmm because I'm thinking like Blade Runner is is pretty high up there. Uh, just because of, I guess, the built-in love. Like, a lot of people love Blade Runner, and it, it has been around for so long, and there's been so much discussion about it, and people have definite ideas on what they think uh, is going on in Blade Runner. And to bring it back, especially with, like, Paul Gosling at the front of it. Ryan Gosling. Uh, or, yeah, Ryan Gosling. Um, his, his brother Paul. His brother Paul, yeah. yeah. His identical twin brother Paul, who <laughs> sometimes stands in for him when the, he needs to do some heavy lifting and acting. Yeah, the equivalent Gosling. He's not even the lesser Gosling. <laughs> right. Uh, got an 87% on the thermometer. Okay. So hmm. I feel like, because I, I, I thought I remembered that this was a little bit more controversial uh, 81% on the audience score. So, like, it did seem almost to get universal praise. I know there's some people that had problems with it, but I enjoyed it. I mean, fuck, I love science. I actually thought it surpassed the original Blade Runner. Right. I feel like a lot of a lot of the criticisms are nitpicks. Like, yes. we don't like that you explained this stuff with Deckard or, uh, like... Or it's slow. Or, or it's slow, yeah. Well, even you like, said, I, like, I some of the... I had a huge problem with some of the pacing and Whereas I and thought scenes. the pacing was vital to the point they were trying to make. Right, right. But, so. I mean, thematically, it's hard to... It, it's hard to really knock that movie. But you're going to put it higher than Stranger Things? I don't know. I mean, the bar, the bar feels a little bit higher to me just because Stranger Things is such a new, recent occurrence. Whereas, yeah. like Blade Runner, is this has this built-in love over decades. That's true. That's true. So I'm, or I might just be trying to justify the myself stage not is higher. Like you can't get a higher stage than the international blockbuster movie release. Whereas Netflix is 
a, as a as a subset of a subset of a stage. Right. You know. Um Ah, uh, I mean, that's the other thing. It's like leftovers happen on the biggest stage on television, like HBO. Mm-hmm. So maybe you put Blade Runner above. So you're wanting to put Blade Runner above Stranger Things? I could get behind that. I mean, I feel like at this point, I'm trying to convince myself not to just put leftovers at the top of every category. Well, uh, which sucks because if it deserves it, it deserves it. But. Yeah, we can't. I mean, that's a horseshit reason to not give something awards. Like we're not we're not the fucking Emmys over here. Uh, <laughs> so I I mean I I think it can go above mm-hmm. Stranger Things. I don't think it can get above the leftovers because this is the Baldies. This isn't some objective, right? You know, that's the problem. A, I'm running a th- into a thousand industry insiders vote on shit that they haven't seen. This is this is this is ours. This is our awards, and unfortunately, this isn't going to be one that has audience participation. A lot of these meta categories don't. Oh, um, okay. So, pl- yeah, I don't know how all that's working. Yeah, because um, like, you, what are you going to have a write-in category for this? Like, yeah, if this wasn't the Baldies, if this wasn't our award show, that would probably be number one. Um, really? Yeah, because it's way bigger. I mean, nobody cares about the leftovers. Yeah, <laughs> except for critics and us. Like, what four, five hundred thousand people watch that show? So we got, so we got leftovers. I mean, that's the thing is, we didn't invent this category to give another award to the leftovers. No. In fact, the way this worked is we tried to talk ourselves out of including it, but we realized that if the category is valid at all, like the leftovers hit every one of the criteria we were trying to to get at. Yeah, except for maybe popular appeal. Well, that but that's popular appeal is not part of it. It's just it's just how high how high of a stake is it in your quality versus how much. Did you have a three season contract? Did you commit to three? Like, like I mean, hype I think is part of it though. Yeah, like, like it, 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 yeah, it has to be a combination of how high you are stepping off of a platform mm-hmm. and how much you have to step off that platform. Like, like Blade Runner satisfies both of that because it's it's a widely acclaimed film that has been dormant for years. Nobody was clamoring. There's not a online petition. Right. Uh, there's not a studio trying to resurrect it for a franchise. It's just it's this is a this is you walking off a cliff because you want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think season three leftovers is the same way. Uh, you're right. It doesn't have a high. It doesn't have as high of exposure, but the quality, the quality cliff, like season two, the leftovers was. I said at the time was the best fucking season of television I'd ever seen. Yeah. The only reason I wasn't giving it the best series is like, well, I, sh- I mean, it's fucking two seasons versus The Wire's five. That's kind of shitty right. to do to Simon. Uh, but but yeah, now it's got three seasons. I think I'm. Re- I think that's the other thing about this Baldies is I I do believe I'm ready to say that the leftovers is now. Whoa 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 whoa! Save it for the drama category. My, no, I'm talking about. I'm talking about. I mean, it, who knows if it'll win this year? <laughs> oh come on! Who knows if it'll Get win this fucked. year? But okay, <laughs> if it's the best thing you've ever seen on television, period. Yeah, maybe, maybe, of all time. maybe, of all time. Tale will be maybe twenty. I don't know about twenty seventeen, but all time, sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, yeah, fair, 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 fair criticism. Uh, uh, okay, I, good I think I'm happy with that. Yeah, the return to form category. Oh shit! Okay, so this is a we're gonna sh- have to break these videos up into smaller chunks. There's no way yeah. someone's gonna listen to a three hour video. I mean, we uh, can do that now if you want. Do you want to? Because I feel like I think we already fucked up. We need to. We needed broke broken it up earlier. So I'm cool with keeping running the cameras. I just think we need okay. to. Okay. 
Um, sure. Is you have a, okay. So return to form. So this category is shows or, I guess, movie series that you no, we had written that off. started off really good and got crappy, and we were just like, yeah, we're done with that. And suddenly, out of nowhere, they were relevant again. Yeah. Uh, Fargo. Fargo, um, a Fargo lot... didn't have a terrible season two. Like, you know what? It, it's it so, wasn't as good. There's a thread right now ranking Fargo's because uh, Noah Hawley said that he was going to take a time off from Fargo, but now he's, I guess he's got a lightning in the bottle because he has recently announced that they're actually working on season four. Oh, no. It's going to hit, like, October. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't think, because if, if, if every other season of Fargo, they have to film during the winter because that's part of the charm, yeah. so I doubt it. Um, okay. But yeah, so Fargo season two, and this is this is very controversial. But if you listen to our podcast, we don't like season two. We don't like especially the way it ended. Not no, as much, wait, certainly. season two is super good. Mm. That the climax completely left us. Yeah, cold. that alien shit was no, no, not my thing. Season three, the first three episodes tried really damn hard to run me and Jim off. Yeah, and then by. Doing a lot of really interesting international geopolitical economic mm-hmm. themes turned out to be one of the more important things that I watched and had. And having a truly menacing villain. Yes, uh, David Doolis. Disturbing and dis- disgusting hard, and like, menacing. I had to turn my eyes away <laughs> from the screen at this man's mouth on several occasions. Yeah. Um it had Ewan McGregor playing a twin character uh, and doing very good space work with that and characterization aided and abetted by some heroic facial prosthetics and wigs. <laughs> um, it had Carrie Coons playing a very reserved and, and, and generous performance where she, like, I thought the Carrie Coons was going to eat everyone else alive. Mm-hmm. I think she could have, but that wasn't her character and what she was there to do. Right. Um, yeah, it it was fucking it was it like it it to me it, there again it was another one where like I was like not super excited about Noah Hawley and starting to think like you know with our body work that we've seen of him you know starting to think like okay not sure if this guy is going to be any more than what I'm seeing already and then he came with like Legion and Fargo season three and it was a return to form. Mm-hmm. So that's why he's on this list. And again, I know this is a minority opinion. I was just browsing on the forums on Bald Move, and people were ranking the seasons. And I think I'm the only one that went three, one, two. Huh. I, I okay. know I was the only one that I was the first one. I was like, well, I guess I'm a weirdo, but three, two, one, baby, uh, or three, one, two. And I don't. And a lot of people will be like, well, you're just a fucking idiot. And Fargo two was so much better than Fargo three. But it's it's our. This is the Baldies. Not to everybody's. So <laughs> Fargo is on there. Mr. Robot, I think we already discussed. Yeah. In fact, some of these things, like, what 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 did we end up doing with the uh, biggest surprise? I'm trying to think. Like, if the young Pope is going to win the biggest surprise, maybe we should get Mr. Robot and Star Trek Discovery off there. Because why? what's the argument for Mr. Robot and Star Trek Discovery being on the return to form? Because return to form implies it's a surprise. Right? Like, isn't that just double dipping for them? Kind of, yeah. Um, I, I think you're right for the same reason we took off the one I can't think of. I don't think – I think I stopped taking them off. We might have to clean that up for the, the actual show. Yeah. But uh, I'm going to 
So I guess I'm gonna um, put reopen the biggest surprise date or debate. No, I'm just going to put. I'm gonna I'm gonna italicize things that are more of a return to form, and then we will see what happens. Uh, so Fargo, uh, Mr. Robot, we already everything we said already stands for this. Uh, if you didn't listen to that segment, essentially we thought Mr. Robot Two was a disappointment, building on the promise of season one, and season three found the way to take the threads that were important from season two, make them even better, and pay off both the crazy speculation people had put on, and also the the hopes for a more mundane, rooted in reality show in a way that I didn't think was possible. Like I thought. I thought there some part of the fan base is going to be alienated. Mm-hmm. Like the time, the 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 Doctor I mean, Who it's clear. Ti- either is going to be the Doctor Two Who timeline or the Time Lords, or is going to be the autistic hackers. One of those audiences was going to be fucking livid about how things they're, happen. They're they're stringing along everybody, and I can tell you this <laughs> is going to be a lost scenario where we get to the end and one of two things happens, and the audience and half the audience goes fuck this show, half the audience goes yes, that's exactly what I wanted. Counterpoint, leftovers. Okay. Because there was a minority of the people, and it's a very small minority because it was a small audience to begin with, but there, a small I, minority of people said they're disappointed, but the majority of people, whether you thought one thing or the other happened, still loved the way that they left it ambiguous and emotionally. They left it ambiguous in a way that I don't think Mr. Robot can do because Mr. Uh, Robot is talking about very concrete things here, right? True, and Sam Esmail said, Not this like, is going somewhere. I've got big plans <laughs> right. where Lindelof was like, fuck everyone this is this 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 there's nothing supernatural here there is no you know like there is there you're i'm never going to talk about this yeah so they intentionally rode that line through the whole series whereas i think mr robot is writing that line up until the moment it can't because it has to say something okay so i'm worried about mr robot but this season yeah they did a a remarkable job stringing everyone along And, and because it was so good all of the other what you would call like creative masturbation just worked yeah. Like, their yeah. weirdo episodes were fun, mm-hmm. and, like, as much as we liked the ALF and Full House Mr. Robot episode, it was fun, but it was, like, a a, clown, a birthday clown walking into, you know, Sam Esmail jerking off. <laughs> like, sure. what, you know, whereas all the fun, crazy yeah. stuff that happened in this episode, this just felt like a, of a piece. And, like, the, yeah. the crazy risk-taking, like, the single one episode that was uninterrupted by commercial, like, all that stuff just worked. Mm-hmm. Star Trek Discovery, again, Star Trek sucked for a long, long time. J.J. Abrams brought back it as a action franchise, yeah. which has kind of progressively lost gas. Star Trek, I think, is returned to form. And so Discovery was an apt subtitle for it. Yeah, here here's the... The asterisk on this one, I haven't seen most of Star Trek Discovery. I've seen like three or four episodes well, of it. Well, nobody's seen the whole thing in right, 2017. Right, now. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't know what that show is exactly. If it's more of the action because the stuff I've seen has been more of like the action-y kind of yeah. stuff. Like yeah. we're in a war, more akin to like DS9 than... It, and it, it does feel very DS9 because like there's a lot of generation. morally ambiguous gray things. In fact, yeah. this is the first captain that's just not heroic. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I I don't know like wh- when I think of Star Trek I think of that sense of exploration and discovery and um trying to do all that in a peaceful manner. In this, I get a little more of that that DS Nine feel, which is not bad, mm-hmm. but it's not exactly what I think of when I think of Star Trek. 
But the, the return to form here is really just how yeah, good it is, right? Can't we get back to a utopian Star Trek? Like, right. is it about, like, is it, uh, it is there aspirations? nothing? Like, is there nothing if you look out in the world scene that someone could say, here, nah, we fixed it all. here is a, like, oh, like, here's a vision of the future where everyone's getting along and we can talk about social issues and, like, a future construct where, like, you know, a wiser, futuristic person can tut tut at what we're doing in the 21st century. And I, I don't know. Like, call me a crazy dreamer, but yeah. I would like for Star Trek, its next series, to be back to more Roddenberry roots. Maybe you can't go back. Maybe you can't. I would like Star Trek, the next series, to be... That's what it should com- be called, com- Star Trek, the next series. Just completely automation-based. Like, we, <laughs> right. we... Why are we sending humans into yeah, it's space? A, it's, an unaut- it's an automated, it's an automated yeah. starship. Let's just send... We've got these amazing computers. Let's use them. That'd be a terrible show. <laughs> it would be. Uh... Always. Wait, wait! You're telling me that a, a bridge crew manned strictly by datas would be a bad show? Well, you're you're. Why would you even make them datas? They should just be automated systems of the Star Trek. The the because it'd be a bad show otherwise, right? All like like your your <laughs> you idea is like this. Like is this is like there would not even be a bridge set. It would just be like right. a circuit board. No, it'd be the board cube. It'd be, be isolated ships, and yeah. it would like run into some space phenomenon, and there'd be long silences mm-hmm. and. Yeah, I don't know. There'd be no uh, English. It'd just be... It would be interesting to envisualize, like, okay, so set Star Trek a thousand years in the future where the Enterprise is a bio-organic organism. Okay. Like, like imagine Captain Picard as the Starship Enterprise. I've seen him as Locutus. There's, <laughs> I don't really like but there's him no, very there's much. No, there's no crew to bark at. Like, like, it's almost like a first-person account of this char child na- exploring the galaxy. Mm-hmm. I know the next generation did that. Like there is a living starship, and they cesarean mm-hmm. section the baby out of it, and like I, I want to see that that thing story. Um, All right. Anyway, Always Sunny, uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia, in my opinion, was running out of steam coming into its latest season, and there was just as many miss as there were hit episodes, and this this season was a return to fucking hilarious form. Hmm. Uh and I and, and it, it culminated in the departure of Glenn Howerton from the show. I don't think I've seen you haven't, and I kind of want yeah. you to see a cup like the first couple episodes just to have some an opinion on this show for the comedy because uh, it's real good. It's real good, and you're the one that got me into this show. Yeah, so, I catch it. I catch it on Netflix. So I'm right, a year that's behind. why you're a year behind. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought uh, you know not that always Sunny ever got bad because even in the seasons where it was off, there was always like Charlie's, you know Charlie's work or Charlie's yeah. Day or something like that that was that was good. But this this last season was almost with maybe one episode misstep was just just real good. Hmm. Uh, did we put Justice League on here as a joke? It, it it clawed its way up to mediocrity and averageness, maybe, and enjoyability. You never even I, saw I it. I didn't even see Justice League. Thor no. Ragnarok was returned to form because I thought the first Thor movie worked because it took what I've always considered a somewhat silly character mm-hmm. that is nevertheless a powerful and important part of the Marvel lore and leaned into it. You know, he came to Earth spouting Shakespeare and looking like fucking, you know, the the greater Hemsworth with long hair, and Natalie Portman treated him accordingly. Mm-hmm. And then Thor, the Dark Elves bullshit, came out and went way emo and important and Lord of the Rings, and it was a snooze fest. And Thor Ragnarok took out the clip, took the Clippers to Thor, put him in a buddy film with the Hulk, 
and injected a whole bunch of Guardians of the Galaxy fun up its ass, and it was great. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. Thor returned, like, never, never taking back, never taking back to any kind of serious roots ever again. It's tough for me because I haven't seen the second one. So you Thor should, has always been need to. pretty good. You don't need to. Okay. Uh, the Foreigner. Jackie Chan. Jackie yeah. Chan came back and made an action film that not only did he not embarrass himself, not only did he still have the moves, but was actually a pretty good film. I'm going to say I don't know if this belongs in Return to Form because Jackie Chan on, has done tuxedo. some bad comedies, but he has never done bad action. Jackie Chan always does really good action, and that's what that's what he is. Like he's an action star. I don't. I, I know he does a lot of comedy stuff, but in my mind, he is a martial artist who is if willing it's been to a do decade since he horrible did, things to his body. If it's been a decade since he did his last action film, which wasn't even that much of an action film, The Karate Kid. Yeah. And if he's done other things in between there, I apologize. Um, but I mean, the fact that he's got the moves and he's got a gra- he's got this like old man gravitas he brought to the role that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, it was. A more dramatic role for him, certainly. Yeah, um, and it was it made me feel good because I was ho- I was expecting to have to pull some punches. Um, <laughs> he never had pull punches. He just expect he just always going to dodge him. Punch yeah. me as hard as you can. I was just dodge him. Uh, I sucks. I have to pull some punches with the Jackie because he's lost a step, and I did not. Yeah. Um, Spider Man Homecoming. That, um, that maybe should be in the biggest surprise category. Honestly, that's not a bad way to look at it. Okay, because we were both expecting. The thing- to be kind of sucking air through our teeth the whole time. Well, the, the other thing is like the foreigner. Like I don't think it's going to make noise in either category. I just mm-hmm. wanted. I just wanted to say I love you to Jackie Chan one more time. <laughs> do you want me to do that? One more time. One more time. You never know. Do I want you to move it? Yeah. Uh, I think that feels more right to me. I'm going to do the same italicized treatment so we can del- maybe do an off-air deliberation. I mean, it won't change our arguments. It'll just be the, how how what shape to take. Uh, yeah. So Spider-Man Homecoming, uh, Sony had destroyed Spider-Man and interesting yeah. Spider-Man. Uh, the Garfield, like I don't, I don't know. Is this a controversial take that the the Garfield versions of uh, Spider-Man were shit? No. Uh, the fact and 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 Marvel, so Marvel gets Spider-Man back. They call it Homecoming, which is already cheeky, and they completely forego the origin story because everyone fucking knows it. Yeah. And they soft kind of brought him back in uh, Captain America 3, Civil Which War. Which had me super excited for Spider-Man Homecoming. And they just, they just, they just went into it. And it's the story yeah. of, um, it's, a, it's essentially a Spider-Man 2 kind of film where he's got to deal with his, I mean, I mean that's what Spider-Man's always been his, his, his best is, is when he is an unsure of himself teenager uh, unsure of his powers, unsure of his place in the world, you know, wanting to be this, but also wanting to have like, like, like wanting to be the hero, but also wanting to have a normal life. And I feel like they nailed all that. And the way they used Robert Downey Jr. was particularly good as a foil for those ambitions. And I, I mean, it was, it was fun. It's also, I think I've seen it twice now. And I like Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man a lot, but this I don't I don't even know what this kid's name is, but he's just he's Peter Parker and he's Spider-Man. He's the first I think successful fusion of all those things. Like you know, Toby, yeah. he's just too old. Yeah, I mean I I like Toby too, but I I think this kid is perfect for the role. Yeah, yeah. So and the sublime pleasure of seeing 
um, Keaton playing this Birdman after playing Birdman after playing Batman and finding himself back in a superhero role as the villain. I, it's and and he's it, you know also Michael Keaton's really good. Yeah, I think we've rediscovered him in the last great, few years. Great actor, yeah. Uh, so Spider Man Homecoming, Return to Form, and Logan. You already talked about Logan. We did, yeah. So who had the best return to form? Um, we might have to go. We might have to start ranking. All right. Ranking well, these. is Logan better? Logan a bigger return than Fargo? Mm, man. Well, let's do this. Is, I, no, I, let's, let's maybe do bottom so. up. I, let's do bottom up. That's how we did the other one. Okay. Is Logan better than Spider? Is Logan a better return to form than Spider Man? No, because. I don't think X Men had sunk quite as deep as Spider Man. I, I didn't. I've seen every X Men. I did not see Amazing Spider Man two. That looked like no. It, yeah, this... hot ass and all the reviews. Spider Man was in the dumps um, under Sony, and I don't know. Marvel's going to bring it back. I mean, that's how far it was in the dumps. Sony sold it to Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> Like, like, we can't fu- do anything with this, so yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so is Spider-Man a bigger return to form than The Foreigner? Yeah, well, I mean, I think obviously because under your new Foreigner logic. Yeah, for sure. Uh, is it a bigger return to form than Thor Ragnarok? I mean, for, Thor was never the biggest, strongest staple of Marvel in, the begin- in, in any way. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm comfortable with saying it is. Okay. Uh, Justice League, yes, because Spider-Man 2, or the Amazing Spider-Man series, was about DC, the average quality of a DCU film, and Spider-Man was fucking awesome, and Justice League was just okay. Mm-hmm. Bigger return to form than Always Sunny? I gotta look up it's the hard previous to, season. It's hard to tell with Always, especially since it's been a year since I've seen it, and you've not seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, is it, okay, so is it better than Star Trek in your mind? Is it bigger return Spider-Man, to form? Bigger return to form than Star Trek. Man, I haven't. So I haven't seen a lot of the new Spider-Man movies. I'm trying to think if I've seen any of the ones that Garfield's been in. Probably not. You don't like uh, comic book movies anyway. Did you ever see Spider-Man I saw Three? Three? It was fucking terrible. Yeah, it's pretty bad. God, it's pretty that bad. was a train wreck. Uh. Yeah, I mean, based solely on three, I think it was more of a return to form than Star Trek. Because Star Trek was bad, but never in the way that Spider-Man was bad. Really? That I mean, that third Spider-Man Voyager, was a piece of shit. I hated every second Voyager of as a whole is a piece of shit. And it, I don't a lot like of Voyager, it. but there are some good episodes in Voyager. <laughs> Maybe it's just the sheer amount of it. Like, you can pick out some kernels that are okay. I was going to say, because like, there's always the Tobey Maguire's like, weird... Venom dance that he did in three, I thought was pretty funny. Really? Yeah. I hated every second of that movie. Really? Okay. Um, Especially the dancing parts. Okay. Um, So, I would put it up there, but I I mean, this is both of our list, right? So, if you want to make an argument for Star Trek being higher, Uh, no, because the other thing is I haven't seen all Star Trek. Um, Mr. Robot or Fargo, the thing is like... I was more disappointed by Mr. Robot Season 2 than I was by any Spider-Man letdown ever. But you, well, that's not, might not have been mechanically possible. Like, I don't think Spider-Man could have let you down because you just like, fuck this, I'm out. Yeah, it couldn't have, which is my argument for Spider-Man staying right where it is. Okay. 
Um, and then the debate becomes Mr. Robot or Fargo. Um, so you're, I mean, the, okay. I feel like I'm pretty happy with the top five. Like I, I would, first of all, I get rid of Justice League. That's a jo- that was a joke I think that I made. Okay. Um, return to form. Probably Logan over Thor. That feels right, period. So now let's argue about the top four. So I, right now... You don't now, want to leave your joke in for the actual, like, ceremony thing? Do I? Not really. Okay. Because I don't... I mean... It's fine. I feel the DC fans. I know what it's like to be a fan of a franchise that has fallen kind of on its face and to be reflexively defensive about it and not like... Like, even if you grudgingly admit the truth, you don't like to be told of it. So, like, I try not to poke that bear. Okay. Uh, so, so I'm going to say not, it's, it's not your fault, Will. That we are like stratified into rough chunks here that are that are roughly good. I want to debate number one and two and number three and four. Okay, swapping either of those. Um, Fargo versus Mr. Robot. In my opinion, Fargo season two was not nearly as bad as Fargo or Mr. Robot season two. Agreed. I think Fargo season two had. A, a pretty good run up until the end where yes. I absolutely, it took a turn that I hated. And Fargo's pedigree, like I trusted Holly and his casting and his his creative choices more than S-Mail at that point. Because I was a little okay. shaky. I was a little shaky when Mr. Robot started to pivot into a larger series at the end of season one. Yeah. And then season two kind of confirmed all that where Fargo was like, I was loving everything Fargo season two was dishing out until the very end. Yeah. So, so I think we should swap those two. Okay. Call Mr. Robot a bigger return to form. Um, right. And it probably wins this category. What about three and four? How do you feel about those? Because you seem to have some minor problems. Well, I mean, they're they're almost identical because I, I watched – so I maybe not because I watched the first – pilot episode of Enterprise and maybe two or three episodes beyond that and I stopped mm-hmm. which would be the equivalent of me walking out in the first ten minutes of Sp- The Amazing Spider-Man 2 <laughs> which I didn't even <laughs> okay. make I didn't even yeah. get that far right but on the other hand Spider-Man as soon as it got bought by Disney and he showed up in Civil War 3 or Captain America 3 Civil War I instantly was like I'm expecting really big things so like to call Spider-Man Homecoming like the fact that Mar- Disney and Marvel bought him back off a of spy. Was, was all was the return to form, and this is just the the it, it worked out exactly how I expected it to. I feel like that might be why some of these things made both categories biggest surprise and return to form, right? Because like, I guess the distinction there is it couldn't be that big of a surprise if I guess a studio that you really thoroughly trust and a company right. that has made great stuff takes it over then it shouldn't be that surprising. Um, or at least it shouldn't be as surprising as, you know, Star Trek, who was essentially run by the same people mm-hmm. and turned out to be just a much better thing than they had previously made. Yeah, I think you're right. The four, like, I think we made smart changes to the categories that, like, taking Spider-Man and Star Trek out of Biggest Surprise and putting maybe the foreigner back in there feels right. And I'm kind of thinking swapping... Well, return to form. I I don't know. I like I said. I, I didn't like even see. Lows... Spy, I didn't even see the last Spider where I actually gave Star right. Trek a chance. I, I think that might be the order. So it's then. like it just wins by a hair or a spider thread. 